being authentic isn't, you don't practice that. You just say what's on your mind. You just tell people what you feel. You be a good person. Just, just be. When, when you're trying to be authentic, that's actually when you're not authentic. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Grace for Impact. Fifty-two weeks, fifty-two episodes, one full year of working to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And I have so many people to thank, and I've created a couple of gifts that I would like to give to each of you, those who are listening and those who help me work on the show. More on that in a moment. First of all, I want to thank you, the fans of the show, for tuning in each week and inviting me into your lives, be it on a commute, at the gym, doing chores, or working on your latest and greatest idea to change the world. You have literally tens of thousands of podcasts available to listen to, and yet you take the time to listen to my show. This astounds me today. This is an awesome gift, and I take this privilege very seriously. My hope is that the conversations I've had on this show and shared with you breathe life into your ideas and give you the courage to take the next best step toward realizing your dreams or simply helping you realize that you are worthwhile and that, yes, you are somebody capable of greatness and capable of having a significantly positive impact in the lives of others. A few people, a few fans of the show, left comments on Facebook, and I would like to read a couple of them. My good buddy and former guest, Justice Earl, shared that guests like Cameron Harold brought great light to mental health, life balance, and tuning your enterprise and efforts to best reflect your personal strengths and workflow. While the way guests like Jeff Woods pursued and befriend game-changing influencers and personal growth was infectious, and how Bob Berg's principles of always looking to give away his talent and help before asking for anything in return has shifted his own approach. And you can also go back and listen to Justice's interview because he had tremendous amount of wisdom to share with each of us in our conversation several episodes ago in the Santa Cruz Entrepreneurship Series. My good friend Tatiana, a rising star in Santa Cruz, shared this. It is because of people like you, this community, that make me want to climb to the highest heights for a more meaningful and fulfilling career and life balance. Thank you, Tatiana. I feel the same way about you. Next, I want to thank all of the incredible guests who have joined us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Each guest is at a different phase or level in the pursuit of greatness, but they have several things in common. They are humble and generous. They think about and develop their skill sets. They all have had mentors in their life. They are driven by a strong why that continues to propel them forward in their mission to impact the lives of others. And they all have faced great deals of adversity and have continued to move forward despite the odds. There are two teams of people who support the show in the background 
and help me generate amazing content to share with you each week. And from day one, they have believed in me and the mission of my show. You know them as the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. Well, let me call them out by name and honor them. I would like to thank the entire Lawton Marketing Group team, but in a special way, I would like to thank Kelly, Jen, Sadie, and Eric. You are brilliant, and I am blessed to call you friends and have you in my corner. I would like to also thank the amazing and awesome crew at the Podcast Masters, Cody, Zach, Ben, and Hayden. You are some of the most creative and generous entrepreneurs I have ever met. Thank you for working alongside me each week to have a game-changing impact in the world. I literally could not do this show without you, and I can't wait to see what the next 52 weeks have in store for the show and for each of you. Last and most importantly, I want to say a huge, ginormous thank you to my amazingly supportive wife, Lisa. I love you more than words can say. You inspire me to be better every day, and I love taking risks with you. I love being married to you. I love being a parent with you, and I can't wait to see what the next 52 weeks have in store for us because it's sure to be an adventure. Now, I mentioned I have a gift. In fact, I have two gifts. One of these gifts is inspired by two impact entrepreneur rock stars. Amy Cosper and Cameron Harold speak regularly about the importance of clarity and vision. And so the first gift is what I call the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard. It is an assessment inspired by my conversations with them and that you and I can use to measure and guide our progress in 10 critical areas, developing our superpower, our spirituality, our emotional strength, our intellectual capacity, our physical strength, our recreational capacity, our ability to volunteer, our romantic strength, our social strength, and our professional strengths. So if you want this incredible tool, head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and enter your details and a link to the assessment will automatically be sent to you. The second gift is a bonus and I will send it to you separately after you download the scorecard. It is a new tool I have created called Six Bridges to Well-Being and Personal Growth. This is based on a template that my wife and I have been using for the past couple of years to help us focus in on our goals and objectives both individually and collectively. And I'd love to get your feedback on both of these tools. I am not finished refining these tools. I believe in the 80% rule. They're 80% good, and I wanted to roll them out and give them to you, but I'd love your feedback. Now for episode 52 and the final episode in our series on disruption. We have an incredible leader and our first encore guest, Cameron Harold. Not only is Cameron one of the most respected and sought-after leaders in the business world, he is also one of the most authentic and generous people on the planet. For those of you who are new to the show or did not hear our first conversation, hit the pause button and go back to listen to the first conversation I had with Cameron back on episode six. It continues to be one of the most downloaded and talked about episodes and has had a massive impact. But today, Cameron and I talk about an incredible book he gifted me called Endurance and how it applies in life and business. We talked about how he is creating an opportunity for second-in-command business leaders, also known as chief operating officers, to connect and grow. So often, these people are left behind the curtains and don't get any of the attention or the events or the masterminds that CEOs and other leaders get. 
We talk about the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, which he co-wrote with the incredible Hal Elrod. We talk about Meetings Suck, one of his latest and greatest books. And we even talk about authenticity and how trying to be authentic is the most unauthentic action you and I can take. Now, don't be a podcast junkie. You know what to do. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Cameron Harold, welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. You are our first encore guest, and I couldn't imagine a better person, a better leader, uh, a better master of his craft or an entrepreneur who's working to master his craft than you, my friend. So welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So um, one of the questions I asked you when we first had our first interview last year was about a superpower. And you mentioned that if you could pick any superpower, it would be your son's smile. Since then, I've modified the question a little bit. And it's if you could pick any skill that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I guess it would have to be my um, my speaking. Okay. Tell me a little bit more. What, what, you, what about your speaking would you like to develop into a superpower, and and what are you doing to hone that skill? So I've never really actually had any coaching. I mean, I'm quite a good speaker. I get um, really great feedback globally on my speaking events, and uh, but I've never had any coaching around it. I've, I've had or very very limited, like one or two hours of total coaching on it. Um, so I think if I actually really worked at it, I could probably become world class. I could influence more people from the stage. I'd be able to help more people. Um, just be able to have much bigger impact on their businesses and on themselves. That's fascinating. I would never, ever have guessed uh, that you had, you had not been a professionally trained or coached because, I mean, I've heard you speak multiple times and it's definitely, I would imagine, you know, where, where you're, you are in one of your most comfortable places is up on a stage speaking in front of hundreds of people and, and sharing your ideas and your message. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely at ease, and I really like it, and I feel good and comfortable up there, but I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what I'm supposed to say or how I'm supposed to, to use. You know, I've never had any training around neurolinguistic programming. I've never had any training on how to take the audience through the hero's journey. I've never had any proper training on what my slides should look like. I literally have had no work done on my speaking. So I think if I was to take something that I'm already very, very good at, you know, I've done paid speaking events in 26 countries on five continents with no training. Imagine if I had some training. I know, man, that would be something else. If you could pick any coach, does anybody come to mind that you would want to, to work with to level up your skills? I've actually just hired somebody to do a full day with me um, in about two weeks. Michael Burnoff is actually going to work with me on, on some of my um, speaking from the stage and sales from the stage so that I don't be a, a cheesy salesperson, but I get a lot of my products and offers out a little bit better. So I'm starting to work with him. Just reached out to someone that I saw recently at a speaking event. I loved his slides. So less of a, of a maybe coaching and more I'm just going to rip off and duplicate. I'm just going to take the ideas and, and the way that this guy did his presentation and just have mine rebuilt that way. I love it. I love it, man. What what a what a um, humble answer. Also, I mean, like you know, I think that the best entrepreneurs are people that recognize that they have great skills, but are not afraid to hone those skills further and to receive coaching so that they can get to the next level. So I, I really appreciate that that answer. Yeah, it's. Um, I think there's just some big opportunities. 
some really big opportunities. When I was in Arizona in January, we hung out for a while. As I was walking out, you gave me a couple books. Uh, one was, you know, Meetings Suck. You gave me a copy of your book that you co-wrote with Hal, Hal Alrod, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. And you also gave me this incredible book um, called Endurance about Ernest Shackleton's incredible voyage to the Antarctica in the 1900s. And you said that this is one of your favorite books. And I'd love it if you could share what struck you most about this book and why you enjoy giving giving it away. Because you had like a stack of 10 copies. Yeah, I just, and I've gone through that since then. I just got another stack delivered. Um, My grandfather was a really voracious reader and a very strong business person and, and also just very well read. I don't think he actually even read books on business. He just read and read and read about you know, the war and, and the earth and politics. And he just read. And, um, he said to me one day that it was his favorite book of all time. And I figured, you know, anybody who is literally reading every single day of their 93 years, has probably got some pretty good insights as to a good book. If that's his favorite, I should read it. I read it and it blew me away. Um, just the story, it's a true story of Ernest Shackleton and how his ship was wrecked on the ice and it sunk and then how he and his men had to live under their three, you know, um, rowboats or lifeboats that were on the big ship. And, how they, um, they ended up almost two full years living on ice flows and on a, an island and then sailing through the seas and crossing a mountain. It's just an unbelievable, like if, if anyone ever wrote the story as a novel, a fiction novel, you'd be like, oh, that's crap. There's no way it could ever be done. But to know that it was done a hundred years ago, is just mind blowing. I, I know. And no technology, uh, no Patagonia, no, none of this, you know, f- below freezing wear that you could, <laughs> that you have. And they they survived. I mean, it's just an incredible story. And it's not like it's not like they survived, but every single person survived. It's it's and, and the account when they, when you read it. So for me, it's now become a real popular business book in terms of, for fiction for sorry for um, for leadership. But it wasn't written that way. It was just written as an account of his adventure and his travel. And, and I read it just for the pure enjoyment of it. And I I you know, if I don't take any business lessons from it, it was just the, the endurance, right? The fact that they literally would never, ever, ever going to give up. And I think that tenacity is what really struck me. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a powerful story. And the, the boat, the ship that they launched from, from England was named endurance and little did they know how much endurance they would need, uh, in order to survive the next, you know, two years essentially. And, and it, you know, you got to be careful how you name your boat, I guess, also. <laughs> but there's this beautiful moment and frightening moment in the book. And there's actually many of these. But the moment I'm referring to, you'll probably remember, it's where the ice pack had opened. And they get into their three small boats and paddle their way toward the open waters in hopes of making it to land. And they've been stuck on this ice flow for four months. They've been shipwrecked for uh, even longer at this point. And it's, you know, it's freezing They're They've, there's, they've only been wearing the clothes on their back. And I want to read this quote because it's, it's really an iconic thing. I'd love to get your take about it and it says in 15 minutes, patience camp was lost in the confusion of ice astern, but patience, patience camp no longer mattered. The suit blackened, blackened flow, which had been their prison for nearly four months, whose every feature they knew so well as convicts know each crevice of their cells, which they had come to despise, but whose preservation they had prayed for so often belonged now to the past. We all experience moments 
like this, where we're stuck on an ice flow. And this ice flow, even though it's keep holding us captive, is, is a comforting source to a certain degree. What has been one of your ice flow, your break-free moments as a, as a human being, as an entrepreneur, as a dad, as a husband, as, as, a, as a leader? It was, it was my divorce. It was, um, and, and being able to get divorced and maintain a very good relationship with my ex-wife and be able to raise two great kids together, even though we weren't divorced. But I knew, um, I knew very early on that it was a mistake and that I shouldn't have been there and, and just couldn't keep going. And I was there 10 years so to finally leave after 10 years with two kids and to, to try to do it in a respectful way and make sure that she could continue being a mom and, you know, could continue being um, there for the kids and to do it in a way with, with huge respect but to be able to move on and, and break free was, was massive. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And, and the most freeing for you and, and launched you into the, the trajectory that you're now on with, with the CEO Alliance and writing Meeting Sucks and doing all your speaking. What are some ways, though, that other entrepreneurs can have a moment where they're able to let go of the, the ice flow that they're stuck on and embrace the unknown in order to achieve what, what seems impossible? I, I think it's just to, to be okay with your vulnerability and to be okay to say that you're scared and you don't know the path and you're not sure how you're going to get there. I didn't know what my path was going to be. I just knew I needed to get divorced and I was finally able to be real with my friends and my family and to say that I was scared and was sad and was unhappy and I got a huge amount of support. And in the business world, it's the same thing. You know, I'm launching the CEO Alliance. I don't ex- exactly know what I'm doing. I just know it needs to be done. So when you try to, I think pride and ego gets in the way of all this stuff. But when you just say that you don't really know what you're doing, the whole world conspires to try to help you. Ooh, that's powerful. What, what's been a, a, in, in launching the COO Alliance, knowing that it needs to be, be done because you're following your gut instinct, you're following be, more than your gut instinct, you're following your experience, your real world experience. What has been uh, an example of how the world has conspired to help you create this great organization? Well, it's, uh, I guess a little bit of it is that um, when I share my vivid vision with people, they tend to, um, to get excited about where I'm taking it. My vivid vision is a, a four or five page written document describing what my company looks and feels like three years from now. And the more that I share that with people without really knowing how it's going to happen, they end up connecting those dots for me. So I just tell people where I'm going and they try to help out. That's awesome. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about the CO Alliance and how it's, what purpose it's serving, as well as your other work. And it's a perfect time to switch gears into disruption, which is the series that, that you're going to be featured in, along with Stephen Kotler and Stefan Aristotle and a bunch of other incredible entrepreneurs and leaders. And the word disruption is definitely a buzzword in the entrepreneurial world. And I'm sure that JP Sears, who, I'm, who I know you know, is probably working on a video to make fun of the word as we speak. Uh, but the definition of the word which is to interrupt an activity, a process, or, or an event. And this is exactly what true entrepreneurs do. So here's a couple of questions for you. Do you believe that every entrepreneur from the owner of a franchise to the founder of a software startup to the founder of a organization like the COO Alliance need to constantly be aware of how they might interrupt the status quo? That's the first question. And I'll ask the second question as a follow-up. I guess I'm not really sure of the question if we have to be aware of interrupting the status quo. So like, what do you mean by that? 
in order to stay relevant and and on top of the game and and not get stuck in the norm, you know, how how do entrepreneurs go about making sure that they're constantly disrupting even their own business, interrupting the norm so that they can stay ahead of the curve, ahead of the game and continue to innovate. So I'll, so I'll give you one that I think is going to be a little bit counterintuitive, but I think it's less about innovating and it's more about rip off and duplicate that at the end of the day, momentum creates momentum. And I think far too often people try to find a better way, try to find a cooler thing, try to find a newer way to do something instead of taking the really great systems that already exist and just doing it. And we spend so much time planning and thinking and planning and thinking and agonizing and perfecting instead of just getting shit done and getting it out the door, that it's momentum that's creating momentum. It's a lot of those 80% results that are just moving the business forward. So in a lot of ways, disruption can happen by just actually getting momentum going. It doesn't actually have to happen by finding anything newer or cooler or better. I'll give you an example. So at the end of the day, you know, unless you're flying planes or doing brain surgery, nobody needs a hundred percent perfect result. We don't need the perfect website. We don't need the perfect marketing piece. We don't need the perfect flyer. We don't need the perfect process. We don't need the, the coolest, newest, innovative thing. We just need to get shit done and out the door faster. And if we could get our employees getting stuff done, like a five-sentence email versus a 30-sentence email multiplied by the hundreds of emails that people write all day long moves the business forward faster. So having your meetings done in less time, in half the time, moves the business faster. Just being okay with what was now becoming a trendy phrase of the minimum viable product. Well, what about the minimum viable everything? Just getting it done and out the door. Hmm. Hmm, I love that. The minimum viable everything. That's It's true, yeah. but momentum creates momentum, right? So that if you get something done and out the door, that's going to push something else forward. Perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. That That is definitely a, a common flaw that most entrepreneurs encounter is trying to make something perfect. And I, you know, I, you, you know Dan Sullivan. I, I don't know him, but I've listened to a lot of his work and he's a huge 80% rule kind of a guy. If it's 80% done, it's it's good enough Let's to, to, to launch, right? Exactly right. That's exactly where I'm talking about. Just get it done and out the door quickly versus sitting and worrying about it being absolutely perfect all the time. I'm wondering about your experience, you know, growing 1-800-GOT-JUNK and even before that, uh, working with uh, Elon and, and all those guys that I think it was college painters. And here you have these industries that are pretty stale and stagnant. And then you guys come in and totally disrupt and change the way things are being done and and grow into a $100 million plus organization. You're rolling out these concepts and, and, and launching this stuff on a regular basis. How did you get your team, which, which you ultimately grew to 3,000 people, I believe, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK at least, to, to engage in this concept of momentum creates momentum? Well, what, and so the Elon part is it was Elon's brother, Kimball, that worked for me back in the College Pro Painter days. Also, his cousin who runs Solar City also worked for me at College Pro. They were both franchisees of mine, so I trained them. But then that was like 23 years ago now. The, uh, what we would get people to do is to set goals, break the goals down into two, you know specific projects and tasks, and then say when they were actually going to get the task done, when they were going to do the project, not when it would be completed by but when they were doing it. So we forced people to commit to that activity and commit to that action. We also were very specific on how much time we wanted them to spend. So we wouldn't say this will only take you an hour. 
What we would say is, I only want you to spend an hour. I know you could spend six hours doing it, but I don't want you to. At the end of the day, we only have so much people, time, and money to go around, and we need to delegate them with that kind of specific intent. And again, I think a lot of companies don't do that. They don't specifically think, how much time do I want someone spending on this project? If you've got a $100,000 employee, every hour is $50. Do you want them spending six hours on a project? That's $300. Like, Would you spend $300 on that project? And if you wouldn't, then tell people to get it done faster. You know, if you're going to spend 15 minutes writing an email and you're at $50, that's a $12 email. Do you re- was it really worth the $12, right? You have to think very critically that way. So we just built that, that muscle and built that momentum. I love that. It's such a counterintuitive uh, approach to, to a managing a project or managing people. And maybe we can transition in, into talking a little bit more about the COO Alliance and the feedback you've been getting from the members who have already joined, and also how you're tying in meetings suck with with the COO Alliance. I'm sure you're taking these exact concepts and sharing them with these these great operators who are helping grow and manage and operate million plus revenue companies. I, f- I forget what you said the minimum was. I think it's five million in revenue uh, in order to be a member, but. What has been the feedback of the most common challenges that you're hearing from from these people who are running and operating these multi-million dollar organizations? Yeah, for, for a lot of the COOs or the second in commands running the companies, and the minimum is around 3 million in revenue and 30 employees. It's usually the smallest com- company that we want as a member of the COO Alliance. Um, and the COO Alliance is the only network of its kind in the world for second in commands. So the, the, the struggles that they end up coming up with, um, it's often related to people. So a lot of the people issues of interviewing, recruiting, hiring, onboarding, culture, um, you know, alignments, getting shit done, um, conflict management, communication, all of those issues related to people tend to be the issues that get a lot of this, the discussion. Stuff related to culture, building a world-class culture and turning your company into a magnet for great employees is always a good discussion. And then also the CEO-COO relationship and just how do we actually strengthen that yin and yang relationship between really the two key executives in the company. What's been the biggest breakthrough moments that you've had thus far with uh, your members? Has there been anybody that has engaged in these concepts and taken them to a next level and seen immediate results in, in example, uh, their relationship with their CEO? Yeah, one of the big ones was just a, a number of the of the members at one of our meetings a couple months ago. Um, just all of a sudden, felt like they weren't crazy anymore. They they started to laugh about the fact that entrepreneurs are different and are supposed to be different, and the COOs are supposed to be cleaning up their madness and keeping them aligned. So it was nice for them to actually finally realize that the relationship they had with their CEO was almost a very similar relationship that most second in commands had with their CEO. You know, the why person and the how person are just very different. But when you actually can mesh them together, it got very strong. In the book, Meetings Suck, one, one of the things you talk about is that it's not actually the meetings that suck. It's, it's, it's us that suck <laughs> at running the meetings. And it's, it's us that suck in terms of how we communicate with our peers, with whether it's the CEO and the COO or, the, or any C-level executive to the, to the team members below him or her. What are the the steps when it comes down to the communication process, whether it's setting up a, a meeting or communicating your vivid vision or uh, managing the simplest project, what what are the steps that entrepreneurs can take to get alignment and to 
and to hone their communication and to make sure they don't end up with a mess like the Trump organization rolling out the uh, the immigration ban in a, in, a, in a terribly communicated way. Well, I think one is to really think about the outcome, what, where you're heading with, with all of your parts of communication so you know where you're going and you can ensure that you actually stay on point. Another one is to try to make sure that the trust is always um, you know, implicit, that you really, really care about the trusting relationships of the people that you're working with. So you never undermine that trust. And then trying to do as much of it in person as possible. You know, when you can actually have a face-to-face discussion, either over video or in person, it's going to be much stronger than actually having that discussion um, playing out in email or, or over the phone. Trust is such a conundrum, though. I mean, like, to, to, it's, it's a hard thing to build and to, and to nurture in any relationship, but you have to, you have to do that. And in the Miracle Morning, you talk a lot about the relationship that you built with your CEO, Brian, even before you, you guys uh, joined forces at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. How, how do you go about building trust? Maybe you can share how you and Brian built this great dynamic relationship that helped grow uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK to the point where it is. Well, so start, some of it is by building trust. Some of it is by not destroying trust. And I think that's actually a really key point is how do you not destroy trust in the relationship? So some of that is just not talking behind somebody's back, making sure that you don't blind carbon copy people, making sure that if you have an issue, you deal with it and talk to the person about the specifics. And you always realize the other person probably has your best interest as well. And just keeping that kind of line of communication open. So Brian and I did a lot of things that just fostered that communication. You know, we had the the weekly kind of date night. We went for runs two days a week in the mornings. We um, had a weekly half hour meeting set up that was our one-on-one for just the two of us to resync. And we just kept that mutual respect with each other. One of the other things that you talk about in the Miracle Morning is, is how important it is for us to make sure that we're protecting ourselves from interruption and setting ourselves up for success and, and, and it's not something that we're able to do 100% of the time. And I just was like in preparation for, you know, this call. I was, I was just doing some last minute research and I was on the, the Facebook group for the Miracle Morning for the Entrepreneur. And I saw that you had literally just posted how you're struggling right now with, with uh, the, the morning routine and getting back on track and not, allow, not allowing yourself to allow that moment to snowball into something else. How do you set yourself up for success? What steps do you take to get back back on track when when you get off track? Well, one of it is, is what you just identified was I, I kind of, um, I'm okay with the vulnerability and saying that I'm struggling at something. I don't try to pretend that I've got everything together or that I know or that everything is perfect. I don't just post the perfect stuff on social media and, and hide the bad stuff. So, you know, that post this morning was me lying in bed going, oh, fuck, I've got to get out of bed. It's going to be a rough day. And just wasn't feeling up to it. Wasn't feeling into it. Wasn't, you know, feeling like getting going again. And it's been that way for a little bit. And it just gets hard once in a while. So rather than just posting, hey, everything's wonderful. And like on a good day, what about also on a bad day saying, hey, I'm having a rough time and it's okay to have a rough time. Yeah, no, I, I love that. We have such a manicured, we live in a manicured world today with with Instagram and Facebook and People only posting their beautiful moments and not their their hard moments and their struggles, and definitely can relate to that. The past six weeks for me have been 
uh, incredibly challenging with my kids. We had a lice infestation. We had our garage flood. Uh, immediately after that, like everybody came down with the flu, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, definitely living in the real world, uh, I can, I can absolutely relate. <laughs> that's, that's just part of normal life. Right. So I think that's just part of it in the business world as well Is if you can actually say, I don't know how to do something, um, or I'm struggling in my role. That's where this strong trust is going to come and get built from the rest of the people on your team as well. You know, at the end of the day, most of us like helping people. You know, we enjoy being able to help someone out. So if we like helping someone out, you know, by not allowing other people to help us, it's almost not giving them that present, right? That gift. Absolutely. No, that's a really powerful comment right now. Being open to receiving other people's help and being humble enough to realize that, that you, uh, that you don't have it all together all the time. That's, that's part of being, of what being vulnerable is and, and vulnerability is an amazing strength for entrepreneurs to not shun, but rather to embrace because it, it ends up creating a, a stronger leader out of them. Right. And then by letting them help us, it actually lets them feel good. Absolutely. There's a really powerful component that comes with that. Also, you know, when you are actually being a little bit vulnerable and saying you don't really know what's going on with something or need help, people realize that when you're saying something is going well, they get that there's a balance. You know, they don't think you're just full of it. You, you get a ton, a lot. You have a lot of great ideas. You're, you're an ideator, you know, and, and what's the process that you follow for ideation and, and managing all the ideas that come into your mind? And how do you decide which ones stick and when, which ones you have to let go? Well, I don't, I, I try not to start things right away. I try to take the idea and just let it percolate. Um, so rather than, you know, hey, I should start this project, um, uh, you know, I'll make a list, I'll make notes on the project, and I'll start to really understand what it looks like in its finished result before I necessarily start. And then, you know, the same vein, if, if something is a quick, easy win and it really doesn't have to be perfect, then I might just, do it right. So, as mm-hmm. example, that that post this morning, it could have been written better, it could have been more perfect, but it was like whatever. It's just a quick posting. It was just push something out. Yeah, and it was it was honest. It was authentic. It was raw. It was who you were in that moment, not uh, with some hundred and fifty dollar lighting kit, you know, to make you look good. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't have the quote all put on top of some fancy image and just whatever. Just yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. A fancy image of you being in bed and <laughs> having a hard time getting out of the morning. Um, is it, you know, going back to that idea creation process and letting things percolate, when you're when you're writing these notes out, is it almost like you're creating like a mini vivid vision for, for the idea? Yeah. So I, I work everything backwards. So it'd be like a creative brief for a TV commercial. If I know what the TV commercial is supposed to do and I know roughly what I want it to to look and feel like then I can kind of work it backwards. Um, or if I, if I'm having a dinner party and I want it to be a, you know, a certain feel, then I can work it backwards to who am I going to invite? And what's the food going to be? I just treat every project that same way. That, that is an in, incredibly important advice. Cause I think people don't go to the end. They don't, they, they don't begin with the end in mind as Stephen Covey put it and, and work themselves backwards. It's like they, t- instead they, they take a thousand piece puzzle and they dump it all, all, all on the table and they don't use the the uh, the cover as a guide. Yeah, and, and you know, imagine if you do, right? So, I, I think I'm luck. I'm lucky in a way that I just see everything backwards. Do you think that's something that I, I know that one of the things that you are very passionate about, you talk a lot about, is is uh, you know the eleven 
entrepreneurial traits that we all share with uh, people that are bipolar or suffer from ADD or, you know, is that, is that a unique thing that people that, that have those traits share the ability to kind of be visionaries and, and, and begin with the end in mind, as opposed to people who aren't wired that way? I don't know. I, I, I guess that I've never looked at these disorders as disorders, right? I've just looked at them as me. Um, and I think often, you know, we look at attention deficit disorder or bipolar disorder. You know, for most people, you have to be way out on the edge of the spectrum for it to actually be of danger to you. And I'm just not out on that edge of that spectrum. So uh, I, I just look at it as me understanding me now. I understand why I'm bipolar. I understand that when my mania is in a good place, I can leverage that. And when my mania is in a bad place, I can be dangerous. So I try to identify if I'm manic. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, but I don't try to avoid being manic because I can leverage my good energy, you know, do a podcast yeah. interview. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, it's, it's who you are created to be, you know, and there's nothing, there's no, there's no disorder behind that. It's, it's only how you channel it. Exactly. So when you begin with the end in mind for like the COO Alliance, for instance, what do you see? Well, I'm actually working on the Vivid Vision for the CO Alliance right now, and it'll be a three-page or a four-page description describing the entire company, but I'll just quickly open it up and give you some of the rough basics. I talk about you know, the actual um, facility that we're having it in and the venue that we're having it in and what the feeling of the entrepreneurs is like. I talk about the types of companies that are attending and their desire to learn. I talk about the types of content that we have, what we're covering, and why we're covering those content areas. I talk about the different cocktail parties and receptions, the activities that we're having while they're there, um, and, and how they're actually working in breakout groups and small groups and, and presenting to each other. And, um, you know, I just kind of roll it all out. And then I don't know exactly how it's all going to happen, but I just know that that's what it's going to look and feel like. I love it. And you're taking action. And the number one thing that every great organization shares in common with the other is that they took the next best step toward achieving that end goal. They didn't just wait around for it magically to appear. Right. And what I'm trying to create is that tribe. I'm trying to create, you know, literally that only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. So if I can create a venue for them to be able to um, spend time with each other and for them to be able to learn from each other and for them to be able to connect with each other, then the magic happens because of that connection, not necessarily because of the content that I'm trying to deliver. And I think that you're totally onto something there because the COO role is probably, and you could probably speak to this more than I can, but probably one of the most underappreciated, underacknowledged sea uh, level roles that there is today. You you hear about the CFO and the CEO, but you don't really hear about uh, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtains making everything uh, happen. Well, and that that really is the COO, and in a lot of cases, the COO's job is to make the CEO iconic. To really turn the CEO into that visible, you know, leader that everyone is like, "Wow, look at what they built." And the CEO's job is merely to point direction and let other people figure out the how. So, when it comes to creating ideas, to enduring adversity, to being aware of how to create momentum and build on that momentum, what is maybe one or two of the of the top things that you want people to remember from our conversation? Well, one is the momentum creates momentum. It's not about perfect. It's just about, you know, get it done and get it out the door. The minimum viable everything. I guess I've now coined that term. It's uh, about 
trust and communication and just spending time with each other and then but vulnerability and just making sure that people are vulnerable and people are their, their real selves. I mean, we don't have to try to be authentic, just fucking be like, you don't, being authentic isn't, you don't practice that. You just say what's on your mind. You just tell people what you feel. You be a good person. Just, just be when, when you're trying to be authentic, that's actually when you're not authentic. Yeah, no, that's, that, that is actually one of the, I think going to be the best takeaways actually today is that when you're trying to be authentic, you're actually being the, the opposite because you're, you're trying to put it on and authenticity is not something that, that you can put on. You're being incredibly authentic right now. And I want to take a moment to really acknowledge and appreciate you in a special way, because you could have easily said, you know, sent me a text and say, Mike, I just, I really don't feel like doing this today and let's reschedule, but you didn't. And, and you're not afraid of stepping into uh, this, this humble, vulnerable role because it's a, a great sign of a leader and a great sign of strength. And so I want to acknowledge you and say thank you uh, for joining us today on the show. Oh, you're welcome. No, and I'm not having a bad day. I just didn't want to get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to hang out and just relax and play Candy Crush this morning. I just didn't want to go to work. So it wasn't nice. Yeah, it's not like I'm having a bad life or a bad week. It's just that I haven't gotten the morning routine going again of, you know, the visualizations and getting some exercise and, you know, the gratitudes and meditation. And instead I'm waiting too late and waking up and having a rushed breakfast and jumping into my day too quickly. That's all. Yeah. But you know, we, you know, we're, you're taking the next best step toward, uh, toward correcting that situation and getting back on track, which is the most important thing. You got it. I want to share with you also, uh, an interview I did a, a couple weeks ago with, um, that aired a couple of weeks ago, rather, with a guy named Noah Galloway. And Noah Galloway uh, was fear- featured in our Courage series. And he is a, a, a mil- uh, army veteran who, was, who hit an IED when he was in Iraq and lost his arm and his leg. And, but then ultimately did a bunch of Tough mutters and appeared on Dancing with the Stars and, and has written a book called Living with No Excuses. And in our, our episode, he talked a tremendous amount about vulnerability. And, uh, and, you know, I'd love to make a connection with, with the two of you. I think you guys would be, uh, an amazing dynamic duo if you ever had a speaking opportunity together. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll connect you via email if that's a co- cool with you. Great. Yeah, please do. Well, Cameron, thank you again for joining us on the impact entrepreneur show. You are going to be our one year anniversary episode. So uh, I'm, I'm really uh, pumped and and grateful for your friendship that we're, we've developed for the ideas that, that you've shared with me in the last few weeks. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Cameron, thank you for being a guest on the show today and for being our first Encore episode. I have not been able to stop thinking about two things from our conversation. The first thing is how trying to be authentic is the least authentic way that we can live our lives. Just be who you are created to be. I know I am going to be intentional about just being who I am every day. The second thing is how momentum builds momentum and taking the next best step toward achieving our our dreams, our goals, disrupting whatever industry we might be in, just taking action because momentum creates momentum and we become unstoppable. If you missed any of the key points, we've got you covered. Go over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 52 for all the key points and highlights of the conversation. And while you're there, be sure to check out and thank the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. As I said at the intro, 
We could not do this show without them. And don't forget about the two gifts. Go to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard, enter your information, and those gifts will be sent to you. And I promise they will help bridge the gap from where you are to where you want to be. Now, until next time, go make an impact.